HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. If your food media diet is fueled by HRN, become a monthly donor today. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Chitra Agarwal, co-founder of Brooklyn Deli, an Indian-American food brand that makes the most delicious plant-based simmer sauces like coconut cashew korma and vegan tikka masala, as well as the only American-made achar distributed widely in Western supermarkets. Chitra is also the author of Vibrant India and has been featured in the New York Times, Savour, Food and Wine, and many more. Brooklyn Deli products are available online and at Whole Foods across the U.S. And I'm so happy to have you here, Chitra. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yes, it's um, we, you know, I feel like a lot of times when I'm talking to people about building the sauce company, I kind of compare it to like a sixth grade baseball team. And, you know, then like we get pretty good at that. And then we go to like the middle school team and then we go to like the eighth grade and then the junior varsity and the varsity. And every time we think that we've kind of figured out what the game is, we, you know, we kind of are like, oh, wait, you know, we don't even have uniforms or shoes. You know, we're completely playing a different game. And this is all my very long winded way of saying, like, I feel like you and I are kind of in the same age group somehow. Like I feel like our products are growing up alongside each other. And I have this like, I don't know, very like nice feeling about the, the other brands, like kind of in my cohort, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, no, I, I totally hear you on that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so it's fun to grow alongside of you. It's really fun to, you know, do the research and just see, you know, what a, um, I think, you know, what a voice you are in, um, sort of the Indian American food world, um, here. And, um, 
I didn't really know any of that. I just knew that the product was really yummy and that <laughs> I could, you know, cut up some veggies and throw, you know, some in a pot and make something that people thought was really good. Um, so it's really <laughs> fun you. to get the whole story. Um, so long-winded welcome, but welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. And likewise, I feel the same way. I mean, it's it's really amazing. I mean, this industry is amazing in a lot of ways, but I think it's the people and, you know, the other uh, brands that are out there that are experiencing the same things we are that mm -hmm. really, you know, make it um, an interesting experience and yeah. also a rewarding one, you know? Yeah, it is. I mean... For all of its, you know, I don't know, today was one of those days where we got a meeting and then we got rejected and then we got a meeting and then I was just, I felt like I was just like tossed around and, right. um, you know, for all of that, there's just, I think this real kind of camaraderie, um, you know, I think right. I, I feel it, especially, like I said, with brands that are kind of coming from the same perspective that we are, you know, it's very sort of like food focused, um, yeah. you know, ingredient focused, not necessarily like, um, you know, design or brand or, you know, even though you guys are beautifully branded, there's definitely like a product focus to what, to what you've built along. Right. You know? Which, Cause I think that know. there's like, there's definitely two, um, you know, two lines of thought and I think one perspective is definitely this kind of product or food focused one and the other one is I'd say that white space right, <laughs> like right. one there's a white which space. I was like yeah. what's white space right right <laughs> yeah I didn't know what white space was either <laughs> right um so so let's back up a little bit you know um I know you know you like we're not always, um, you know, in the food business, you were in marketing. This is going back to like 2009, you started right. a blog. Um, what, you know, what, what was that impetus there? Like, why, why did you start blogging your family recipes and what were you trying to connect with? And, you know, what, did you have any goals or thoughts about, about it then? I think at the time, um, you know, I was, I was working, um, in marketing and I don't think I felt, uh, that it was really my passion to some mm -hmm. degree. I mean, like I liked some aspects of what I did. Um, but at the same time, I always had an interest in food. It was something that I, um, you know, was just kind of like growing up in, um, it, with parents that just both love to cook and food was just like such like a central focus. Right. Um, the blog was kind of a way for me to document a lot of the recipes that I grew up eating, especially because I was living farther from home. And I think it kind of just became something else. It started as a as a project to document really, because I had right. all of these family recipes from like my parents, my aunts, my grandparents, and they were just all over the place, like in emails, like right. written on scrap paper. And so I, I just was like, you know, one day I was just wanting to document it all. And yeah. I think at the time it was, you know, Brooklyn was, there was, 
this kind of like food renaissance going on, but it wasn't really what was happening, I'd say, in the restaurants. It was more around home cooking Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, a lot of different food bloggers that I connected with, you know, like Kathy Irway, Diana Korn, like all these people that are, you know, very close friends to me now. Um, It became a way for me to connect with food community um, around me. And I think it also shaped my perspective or my kind of point of view um, in cooking too. It's, it started out as this, you know, documenting of family recipes, but then became like, okay, I'm going to make use some of these traditional Indian cooking techniques to use what was in my farm share or, right. right? Yeah. Um, did you grow yeah. up here or did you grow up in India? Like, were you, Oh yeah, I grew yeah. up here. I I was um, I was born and brought up in Jersey, and uh-huh. um, my parents um, were they came here. I'd say maybe in the '60s or so, mm-hmm. um, and but they had a very strong connection to India and right. lived there for part of the year. So, um, you know, I would go back almost every year, and I was very close to my grandmother mm-hmm. and a lot of her sisters, and so. Um, it was really important for me to maintain that relationship as right. I grew older too. And I think as food became more a part of um, what I was doing, um, it also became a way for me to connect with more of my relatives there. Cause I feel like, I mean, I guess a lot of the work that I was doing on the blog and this is a funny term, but it was called the ABCDs of cooking mm-hmm. and like ABCD is, you know, I mean, sometimes a derogatory term that, um, like Indian parents may say to their kids, like you're such an ABCD, it's American born confused Daisy. Oh, wow. And, I did not yeah. know. Oh, wow. That's yeah. funny. American born confused. <laughs> what was the last word? Daisy. So Got it. anybody of South Asian descent, basically. And right. so the food that I was creating and putting on that on the blog, it was really from this point of view that was yeah. taking that identity and making it positive in a way that you can create something, you know, totally unique and amazing, but still rooted in this in, in, in Indian heritage. And um and so that became cooking classes. It became like pop-up dinners and yeah. all these different things. And, you know, eventually grew into what became Brooklyn Deli. Yeah. Which, I mean, by the way, the name is, is so good, <laughs> but I mean, going, going, you know, I, I want to touch on that a little bit, right? Because I don't know if you saw, there was just like an article. I mean, I've been talking a lot about this kind of on the podcast and just in general with my team. And, you know, it's something important that like, we really want to keep our eye on just, you know, as the conversation around appropriation and appreciation and inspiration and all of these words, um, obviously, you know, we're in a very different position. I, I don't have any heritage or connection to the sauces that my company's making. And, you know, I'm, I'm aware of my responsibility there. And I'm just wondering if, like, when you started documenting everything, did you get any pushback from your relatives sort of saying, these are family recipes or these are private or we don't want people changing them and using other ingredients? Or was the general 
perspective, oh, this is wonderful because you're documenting something and making it available. Like, were there different perspectives on it? Did anyone really notice what you were doing or have feelings about it either way? Did anybody read my blog except for my mom? Um, No. (laughs) (laughs) I think that, um, I think it was probably a mixed bag, I think, Mm -hmm. because, you know, I had a lot of um, cousins that are my generation that definitely use my blog, actually, to get recipe, like family recipes. Um, But then, you know, of course, like, (laughs) they're like, my mom, even to this day is just like, "Mm, I don't know, like, why, why do you have to use that vegetable in this recipe? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) So there's always, you know, there's always that kind of like, pushback, I think. from like the older generation um but like even I mean that that was actually something that um I became more comfortable with as I started to do work on my cookbook because Mm -hmm. that was a project where I was um really delving deep into my family's recipes from South India where my mom is from Mm -hmm. and um I was trying to, you know, put down what the, at at first I was like, what is the quintessential recipe for this dish? Right. Mm -hmm. And going to all of my aunts, my mom, and then realizing that every one of them has a different recipe. And I think if anything, that was like an amazing exercise for me that freed me up to understand that there is no one way to do, to make a dish, to do a recipe really. And that at the end of the day, I mean, it's like everybody has their own perspective and, you know, Brooklyn Deli is my perspective and the cookbook, the way that I wrote it is my perspective, but I, I think that I definitely had the notion um, at, at times where I was like, huh, is this okay? Like yeah. what I'm doing here? Um, but I, I think I've come to terms with that. I mean, my guess is that if we're not at times thinking, is this okay, what I'm doing here, we're probably doing something that, you know, not great. <laughs> Right. (laughs) You know, it's kind of like, how do I know I'm not an asshole? Like, well, if I'm asking the question, I'm probably not an asshole. Right. Like it's, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing, I think. So my guess is that, you know, and I mean, it is, you know, I think you and I had a brief conversation a little bit about it too, because, um, you know, there's, there's so much nuance to it, you know, to this, to this whole discussion. And it comes down to respect and it comes down to extraction versus, you know, giving, giving something back. And I think, you know, everything that I've read and every recipe out there, even if you're, you know, you're quote unquote, sort of making it your own, you're, there is such an homage to tradition, you know, and to, and to like the, I don't know, like I think of a house, right? Like there's a foundation and then people choose to decorate with whatever color curtains they want. But, right, you know, the foundation is there, um, it seems to me. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So the cookbook was sort of, you know, um, what year was the cookbook? That was 2017 that it came out. That was actually the same year as my cookbook came out. And did you, um, before the cookbook... Was Brooklyn Deli 
a CPG business yet? Or was it um, like, were you doing packaged goods or was it mostly, you know, pop-ups and, and things like that? And did the book, how did the book, I guess the question is like interplay with the way right. that the brand ended up being what it is now? So I actually, um, so the, the, the book deal came through um, kind of at the same time that we launched Brooklyn Deli. Mm-hmm. And I probably would not advise anybody to write a cookbook and start a CPG brand at the yeah. same time because yeah. it was pure hell. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> but that's what you do when you don't know what you're doing. Totally. Um, but um, yeah, so they, um, Brooklyn Deli, um, it, from the on uh, from the outset was a CPG and is a CPG company and I um, decided to go that route because my husband um, now who was my boyfriend at the time mm-hmm. is a food packaging designer mm-hmm. and um, and so I was making my achar which is um, sometimes called Indian pickle out of seasonal vegetables and fruits and he had never had <laughs> Indian pickle or achar before and he totally right. got hooked on it and he was just like, you know, if you want to put these out, I would totally, you know, design, design the packaging. Right. And I was like, sure, let's do it. You know? Um, so at and that time you were only making a char. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. So a char was the first product. Our tomato a char was our first product to and market. And it's, it's interesting, right? Because my guess is that you learned alongside like the way, you know, we started with, um, you know, sauces that the American consumer wasn't particularly used to. Um, and my guess is that American consumers were not, you know, that Achar had probably a, a, a target market, but it wasn't necessarily like a mass market. Right. No. Um, and then did you sort of decide along the way, okay, we're going to expand this into things that maybe people do have a little more awareness of and bring them into the brand through things that they recognize. And, you know, we don't have to do as much education around. Right. I think that it was that we needed to definitely educate people on how to use the HR. And I think that we, if you look at our packaging too, it's like, I mean, well, it's, there's a lot going on there, but a lot of it is kind of like education on how to use mm-hmm. the product. And I think that the the other products that came, especially the simmer sauces, those were a way to give people context mm-hmm. as to, because all our simmer sauces are mild. Um, right. And I mean, I developed those basically after I had kids too. They're mild. I feed them to my kids. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, the brand has kind of grown up with me at first. I mean, I'm single, like me and Ben, we just want hot stuff, right? Right. Like, be a Um, And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a second, I can't feed that to my kids. And so Mm -hmm. you're making these simmer sauces. So I'd say that the progression of the types of products that we came out with really all start still in in the kitchen. But it's, um, a lot of it is, is that I, I wanted people to understand um, something 
different that they they didn't know before in Indian cuisine, like expand that conversation, really. And achar was a way to do it. I mean, I could have come out and said, this is Indian pickle. But, you know, from teaching cooking classes and things like that, I wanted to go out there with the, the term achar and educate people. You know, achar means pickled or preserved. This is a staple Indian condiment. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that um, the the products that have come after really kind of, you know, support um, how to use achar kind of in a, in a sense. Yeah. I mean, and we, you know, we had the discussion years ago, I was on the wrong side of this, but I thought, you know, maybe we call romesco a roasted red pepper sauce. You know, uh-huh. maybe the word romesco is confusing. And very quickly I learned that would have been a horrible mistake and <laughs> totally right. appropriating and just terrible, terrible, terrible move. And thank goodness, you know, I work with thoughtful people who were like, no, not a good plan. Um, but yeah, I mean, I understand, I understand the, the, like the, the back and forth in your own mind, right? Like you, right. it's not, we don't necessarily want to, you know, I don't know, strip something of anything, but on the other hand, if we want people to start using this thing and making it a part of their kitchen routines, then right. it's it's a lot to educate people in like three square inches on a package. Exactly. And yes, of course, we, you know, we try to back it up with our website and with the Instagram. And, you know, did you know you can use this this way? But, you know, you have four seconds to, um, you know, to get someone interested. And, and, and it's hard when, you know, they don't know what the word is. You know, right? And, yeah, definitely. And that, you know, that says a lot about American cuisine and all of that, and that's a bigger discussion. But you know, from a brand perspective, um, you know, I get it. Yeah, it is hard though because I mean, just there's so much there's so much complexity to Indian cuisine in general. Mm-hmm. The regionality, yeah. it's like. There's so many different languages. For instance, my mom is from South India and my father is from North India. So he totally grew different. up calling Indian yeah. pickle achar, but my mother grew up calling it Opinkai. In different parts of India, wow. it's called different things. So if you think about it, it's that, I mean, it's it's just like to try to even select the right. name, you know, right. um, was also like which language to go yeah. with. But we decided Achar because Brooklyn, Delhi, Delhi, Hindi is the main language spoken there and Achar mm-hmm. is a Hindi word, you know. Got it. Yeah, I mean, I happen to, like, I'm slightly obsessed with Southern Indian food. I did, like, one of my semesters in my, like, food studies program, my entire project was about Kerala. So I I think I cooked through like 15 different books. Um, And it just, as a side note, it happens to be like my favorite. Um, But I, as much as I cooked through all the books, I didn't, I I didn't know much about the pickles. And, you know, I mean, it was, there's so much to learn. Um, and it's a lot, I guess my point is it's a lot to try to teach it all. So you kind of, I guess, have to choose who you're going to teach, what you're going to teach, and then kind of move from there. And did you, were you consciously thinking, okay, this is, 
this is the market that I can start with and then expand? Like, did you, were you thinking about any of this in 2014, 2015, or were you just like, Mm. I want this to be in the world because it's delicious. And then it just kind of kept happening. That was probably more of it. Right. I, we just wanted to to put it out there. And, you know, we started at a lot of the local markets selling it there. And I think that we, we got a lot of learnings um, from those markets just speaking to people, right? Right. Um, and educating people um, that way, that it informed a lot of, you know, the tweaks that we made on our label, how we communicate to people um, in you know just social and other other um channels um but at the end of the day i mean like we just needed as many people as possible to try it yeah and um and also i mean this is right this is my experience it's like i grew up eating achar like at every meal Mm -hmm. and so trying to give people a window into just how to experience Indian food or at least my, my way to experience it, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. I think you bring up a good point that a a lot of guests end up bringing up, which is that those kind of early days of, of really listening, you know, Mm -hmm. you, you're going to make tweaks on the box. You're going to make tweaks on the package. You're going to make tweaks in the words that you use and even the priorities of what words go up top. You know, because by the third bullet, people might have lost interest. And all of that right. stuff is much easier to change on a small scale, you know, and take those exactly. learnings and then expand from there. Um, right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to take a, a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to hear all about where Brooklyn Deli is now and where it's going in the future. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. You may have noticed that we have a whole new look. We also launched a new website that's going to make your listening easier and more enjoyable than ever before. HRN is the original food podcast network. And as we enter a new chapter in our 12-year history, I want to ask you to invest in HRN for the long haul. If you rely on this show to fuel your food media diet, become a monthly sustaining member today. Our members keep the voice of America's food movement alive and kicking. Your donations support this podcast along with 40 other shows on Heritage Radio Network. Your contribution helps give HRN the security we need to stay on the airwaves throughout the pandemic and your continued support is allowing us to reopen our studio. Plus, we like to give our regular members special treatment. So sign up to become a monthly donor and get access to our secret menu. We've gathered together exclusive discounts and offers from some of your favorite food and beverage brands. So you get to enjoy insider pricing on goods that will ship right to your door. Join our community of monthly donors and special deals will come your way throughout the summer. So can you make a gift of five or $10 a month? It'll show me and our whole team at HRN how much this podcast and food radio in general means to you. Become a monthly sustaining member today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Donate. 
I'm back with Chitra Agarwal from Brooklyn Deli. Um, okay, so you've you know you have a lot of skews. I have I did notice that like you've it's there you know you have a lot of different formulas and recipes and things going on. And I'm curious what that is like for you. And <laughs> is that some, <laughs> you know, how, how, you know, how does your yes. brain kind of think about, you know, when I, when I launch a new thing or have you had to, have you had to de-launch a product, you know, just the, right. the lineup a little bit. I know. I think that I have a problem um, when it comes to <laughs> having too many ideas. We all do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and um, the fact that it's basically, I mean, from day one, it's been me developing the recipes and Ben designing the packaging. We have been working, like we work next to each other, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so- Is that, is that uh, the team? Is it you and Ben or did you do you have- Yeah, it's- I mean, for, for this, I have an ops person and um, marketing um, support, um, right. but for the for the most part, I mean, um, Ben and I really kind of come up with the direction um, of a lot of the products. And as I was saying, I mean, a lot of it really comes out of our home kitchen where we're kind of like, huh, this could be, I mean, mm-hmm. we love it. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> why wouldn't anybody else love it? Yeah. Um, and so, but the process for us to get things to market is quite, it's, it's quite fast, right? Because I'm, I, I'm able to, you know, commercialize the recipe and, mm-hmm. um, and then, designs it. And a lot of times we'll do kind of like the aesthetic, um, kind of brainstorming together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, it's basically ready to go. But of course, I mean, as you know, with products that you put out, I mean, you're, you're adding to your, your sourcing, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, from an operations perspective, it gets even more complex. Um, do you make them or do you have a co-packer? We have a co-packer, but we started making it um, by hand. So, you know, in the beginning, um, I was renting space out of St. John's Bread and Life. It's like one of the largest soup pantries in Brooklyn. And Mm -hmm. I was hand packing it there and we were selling it at, you know, local markets. We were at the flea. We were Mm -hmm. um, just uh, starting at a lot of kind of like the specialty stores in Brooklyn and, in 2017, actually, when, you know, the book came out, I had my first child and we oh also got like one of our largest orders. And it, it was at that point where it was like, I, I physically could not, no. I could not pack the product. Yeah. Um, and so that was when we had to, we had to scale. Right. Um, and, I asked, yeah, because yeah. when you, when you go to a co-packer, I mean, they, they're, they tend to be the most resistant to a new skew, <clears throat> partly because, you know, yes, now they have to, you know, bring in different ingredients and, you know, they're not sure how the volume is going to be on it. And you might not meet minimum order requirements for that skew in particular. Like it's, you know, it, they, you know, as much as, I think we, you know, founders, especially, we really like to innovate and we do keep having ideas and we're like, Ooh, this would be, you know, great. But I think co-packers in general are kind of like, eh, you know, 
can we just I make think this it depends. thing? Yeah. I think it depends. Like for us, like it was really important to find one that first of all, a char is like an extremely complex um, product to pack. Right. And uh, so, you know, going down the line of different co-packers that had the ability to um, take that and, you know, commercialize it to a larger, um, you know, larger batch sizes. That was, that was a challenge. Um, And so in the end, we found a partner that was willing to work with us and was also a problem solver, um, which was a big plus for us. And, you know, they have been with us every step of the way, also a family business. And mm-hmm. I think that it depends on the type of product um, that you have. Uh, for us, like I was very specific and I needed to have a partner that was flexible that could work with us. Right. Um, and so, so, so far, you know, it, it has been a good experience. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's amazing because I think a lot of people run into problems when, when that you know, you had that moment where you got the big order and you knew you were not going to be able to do it on your own. Um, right. And I think those things kind of keep happening. You know, people find like incubators or they find, you know, the small co-packer who is more expensive than it should be, but they just want to see if it works and then they're ready to move to the bigger, you know, there's that production right. piece is something that I think a lot of companies don't take into consideration. Um and can I be really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, the other piece is that I think that it was super helpful that I had actually hand packed the product before mm-hmm. because the recipe went from, you know, something that I made in my kitchen to then scaling it just you know, larger into a commercial kitchen space. And Mm -hmm. even from the stove to that, I had so many learnings and so many different tweaks that Mm -hmm. had to occur Mm -hmm. in that small of a commercialization process that it really helped me from going from there to a larger co-packer because I also knew that there had to be some pieces that had to change possibly mm-hmm. in order to make it work. Yeah. Um, because a lot of people, you know, want to go straight into the co-packer, mm-hmm. which is fine. I mean, it depends on your product, but I'd say that the learnings that I got from just packing it myself, um, yep. those, those were uh, really helpful for me later. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's so interesting going from, I mean, we just, you know, I, the, you know, so when you, we submitted our, our sauce for whole foods, like our new skew that we want to introduce in April of 2022. And we had to have samples to them in June of this past year, you know, how right. that calendar works. Um, yeah. and so, I mean, I was, I, I was in my kitchen blending and then FedExing the co-packer and then they would take it and make a version there and then FedEx back to me. <laughs> like, oh my we, God. you know, yeah, yeah, it was crazy. Um, but <laughs> because I had, you know, I knew it's like with everything you learn, right. With every, with every step you kind of know. And I, and just when I wanted to do something, I was like, uh, this isn't going to work great for them. Like, right. how do I get to this without having these two extra steps or, 
is there something I can use in lieu of this because I know it's going to be hard for them to find or, you know, whatever it is, but, um, right. I know Yeah, the timelines are really challenging when you have new products that you want to launch, but you're kind of like not really at the commercialized like recipe, right? Well, also, I mean, you're, you know, you are, you sell wholesale, you sell direct and you sell on Amazon. Um, I am personally terrified of Amazon. Like, (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I do know why, but like, I'm very nervous. I guess also fresh is very, it's challenging, but was that right. a no brainer for you? What did it, did it move the needle on the volume side for you? Is it like, well, how, how did, how did that come about? How do you feel about it? Well, I guess, I mean, we were national with whole foods, right? So then the Amazon prime now, um, kind of piece of it kicks in. So like people can then order you through that channel. um, If they're, you know, Whole Foods, they're they're looking for Whole Foods um, and they have an Amazon Prime, I think, account. But the general um, Amazon piece is um, we don't fulfill. So we have a third party. Um, So I sell it to a distributor who basically then does all of the FBA and, and, and all of that process, which I mean, honestly, gave me a headache just like looking at it. So I felt that for us, it was at this point in time, I didn't have the bandwidth to kind of like own that, that whole piece. And so we basically outsourced it to a distributor. And like, how do you feel about it as a channel? Like, is it more for discovery for you? Like people learn about the product there or is it a really good sales channel or is it both? I'd say that um, for us, I think it was an alternative to, and so like shipping glass is not mm-hmm. the optimal, I'd say. Um, like, yeah. Our, I didn't think about that piece um, when uh, I, I started my company, but I'd say like the direct to consumer piece of our business is one that we have not really delved into as much just because of that piece. I mean, it's super expensive to ship, um, and there's ton, there's a lot of breakage, right? Right. Um, that comes with a glass product. So we have not focused our business really in that place because I don't feel that the product type, as far as it being in glass, maybe mm-hmm. the um, <laughs> like the best for right. it um, at this point. So. For me, I mean, the other the other channel that has been helpful for us is is working with meal kits, I'd mm-hmm. say, um, because, you know, it's great to like people can can buy us direct. But as I was saying, like we need more people to try our products. Right. So, like the um, the piece with our products, like our chars being in meal kits has been the way for us to get kind of sampling done on a larger scale. Yeah. So um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Because I hear that and I'm also like, do you right. make smaller containers of, yes. of it? And yes. then how, yeah, how does it work? Do you make do you make big containers and they parcel it out or do you make little like sample packs that are a couple ounces and they just 
put them in the meal kits and like, I think, yeah, yeah, you can go, you can go several ways with it. Um, we pack our, um, like we, we pack a few products and we put them into cups that are branded, um, and then provide them to the meal kit, um, Mm. uh, partner. But I'd say that, uh, that you can work it in several different ways. I mean, you could, uh, they have the option too, if you want to provide your product in, you know, food service containers and then they pack it on their right. side. Um, but for us, it's like a char is, you know, that's what we, we want to educate people on. So it was really important for us to put it into a branded cup. Right. Um, yeah. And, and it's cool that they let you brand it for sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, otherwise, and is it, is that, I mean, is that a profitable channel or is it more, would you consider marketing? Um, I wouldn't say, I mean, the margins are low when you're working with meal kits. So mm-hmm. um, it's definitely not, I, I view it more as kind of like a marketing channel for us. Um, it's definitely, you're not going to be making the big bucks or at least right. like from a profit <laughs> margin standpoint right. on meal kits. No, but it's interesting because, I mean, if you had to think of, you know, what is the best way to educate consumers on how to use a char, that is probably it. And they're they're doing all the heavy lifting on, you know, getting people to want to try new food and they need to keep things interesting for their consumers too. Would you say that's the number one way that you're educating or how, how do you, like, if you had to sort of give a lecture on consumer education, what would the top bullet be? Um, I would say, I mean, I think it's a big one. I think that the other one is just us creating content um, through social. I mean, that has been a great way for us to educate people Mm -hmm. um, as well. And, um, but, you know, the other piece is this, is that like, I always think about this in that, um, there there's different mindsets that people have right when Mm -hmm. they go into a grocery store um versus when they're shopping for a cookbook or when they are receiving a meal kit Mm -hmm. right it could be the same person but you could walk into a grocery store and just be on autopilot and just buy what you know kind of thing um and with a meal kit it's like you're you're looking to learn something new. Mm -hmm. So your mind is kind of open to that. So I'd say that um, it could be the same person, right, that gets our meal kit, but then they walk into a Whole Foods and remember, oh, I had this product, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Kind of thing. And so I feel like that's kind of how they they work together or I've seen it on social. I feel like, cause we ask people like, how do you learn about us? And I'd say like the two main ways are social or through a meal kit basically. Right. Well, which is really cool. I don't think I've had a guest on that's like, they've used that as much of a, as, as much of a, like a marketing channel in a way. Right. Um, right. So that's, that's really, I'm like, huh. Let me think. Yeah, I mean, especially yeah. for a smaller brand, it's like, you know how expensive it is to do demos in grocery yeah. stores. And especially this last year when, you know, we weren't able to even get in there. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's just so expensive. Yeah. Um, and I'm still unsure, you know, honestly, 
I mean, I think demos really work when you're local, when it's you or your like immediate team, but it's, you know, I don't know. Right. And considering COVID and everything, I'm just not sure that they're coming back the way that they used to exist, you know? And we right. were worried. I mean, everyone who listens to this podcast has heard me say this 85 times, but like, we launched globally in Whole Foods in April of 2020. And our entire marketing plan was demos. Like we had demos right. scheduled across the country in like, you know, I don't know, 15 cities or whatever it is. And um, that just all didn't happen. And so we, right. you know, we kind of scrambled and figured things out. And now that we've seen what we can do without setting up and for us it's kind of the same as you there's cooking involved and you know you can't right. just like dunk a carrot in, in I know our stuff, that's right? the hard part yeah. of demoing products like these yeah it's yeah. the complexity it's like oh great do I have to bring a burner do I have to you know what I mean right. and, and like, then you have to send out different... people who, who you've never met and be like yeah and then after you do that can you make sure that they go buy it and there's no way for them to know you know I mean right and yeah. I used to do the de- I used to do demos, yeah, and I would see other people doing demos for other companies. And I mean, a lot of times I didn't feel like they were that engaged. Well, right, and that's the thing. So now you're trusting. I, you know, you can't be in Sacramento and in you know right. Frisco, Texas, right? Like it's, it's yeah, um, yeah. Okay, so going back to you know where the company is now, right? It's you and Ben, and you have someone who helps with operations, and you have someone who helps with marketing. But what would you say are the big challenges? What would you say are like your your big next things that you want for the company? Um, I'd say that. I mean, I think for us, like the sales process has been a little bit of a challenge because mm-hmm. of COVID um, for going to trade shows and things like that. Cause that yeah. was like our main way to get new business. Yeah. And we've had to kind of like, you know, engage brokers um, and all these different kinds of ways that we really, you know, didn't want to go down that path before. Right. Um, and we're forced to. And I'd say that I, I feel really confident in the product set that we have. And we have kind of like our supply chain and everything kind of worked out. Of course, like operations can always become more efficient. Um, but I, I would say for us, like focusing on getting our products into more people's hands and um, figuring out the best way to do that. Um, Well, I would think that, you know, I know for us, at least when we opened up, are you, are you with UNFI? Is that how you do Whole Foods or no? Yeah. 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 Because for us, like part of our big annoyance was like, there were stores that wanted us and we had no way of getting it to them. And then when we were able to open those UNFI DCs to support global Whole Foods, that's when we could be like, oh, hey, hi, remember us? You really liked us at XYZ show in 2019. Now right. we're you know available in your UNFI DC if you pull from there. Like it was just going back <laughs> to a lot of people that we had met along the way that we just couldn't supply. Um, right. 
but <laughs> you know, it's well. See that that piece has been. I mean, like that's the one piece that I think that is great is that when you kind of open up, you work with Whole Foods and or different um, kind of these grocery chains, and then you open up your distribution centers. Mm-hmm. Um, you're able to kind of service more um, more of these stores, but it's just a matter of like you know getting in front of the right yeah. people. Yeah. Um, and you know, getting them to try your product and and sign on, um, yeah. and of course those le- the, <laughs> it takes time too, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. We always talk about. I mean, we were just talking about. You know, we submitted in June for an April of next year. Um, right. You know, hopefully <laughs> reset. It's and and the resets are super wonky right now, also just because of COVID. But have right. you have you invested in a dedicated sales? person or team yet? Oh, yes. So I do like this last year. So yeah, when we were not going to be doing any of the trade shows, um, I brought on someone that's more kind of like a part time salesperson that Mm -hmm. helps me with the broker. business and man I mean I'm still I'm still learning Mm -hmm. and it still is extremely confusing but um I'm making (laughs) making some headway each day on it um because just the the part of like having you know um brokers that are working on your business but it's like I also think that it doesn't mean that you need to stop reaching out no. to, and I think that's a misconception yeah, with a lot of brands for that, sure. that <laughs> once you, you know, have one that is working for you that, okay, they're going to do everything, which is really not what happens. No, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's, the, I don't think, I don't think the, the founder ever is out of sales. Right. I mean, because at the end of the day, even if you have a great team, it's still, you know, they still have 10 or 15 other brands that they're, you know, trying to get on shelf and they, and they forget about you when you you don't forget about yourself. And I think it's a very rare broker. We happen to have one um, that actually will lose sleep you know, (laughs) is actually thinking constantly, like, how do I get this brand? How do I explain what this brand is? Like, you know, we don't have, um, we don't have a category in a lot of stores. Like they don't even know, you know, so it's very easy for the, like the produce buyer to be like, nah, this doesn't make sense for me. Kick it over to the dairy buyer. They're like, nah, it doesn't make sense for me. They kick it over, you know? Um, so, right. I so, think that yeah. a lot of work does have to be done on the the brand side as far as just kind of positioning your brand and thinking through that because uh, I think that the brokers kind of amplify um, what mm-hmm. you, you know, what you tell them about right. your brand too, right? And so I feel like this last um, few months, um, you know, I've been working a lot on our sales materials as far as like positioning ourselves right. and then, um, you know, sending those materials out because I think your brokers are only as good as also how well you communicate your brand and your perspective to them yeah. too. So along with all of that, what do you wish you knew then 
that you knew now? Would you have set yourself up? You know, I think a lot of this podcast is just about trying to save people a little bit of heartache. And, you know, if I can say like, set yourself up this way so that you don't run into these problems in two years. Is there anything that you think about now that you're like, if I had done this in 2017 or 2018 or 2019, or if I had planned for this, then I wouldn't be undoing this now, or I'd be in a better spot. Or is there anything you wish someone had told you? I think that I should have done more research. I think that, um, you know, going out into market with a brand new product, I think mm-hmm. that you kind of come out and you think, oh, I have something really different to mm-hmm. share and look at that almost as a positive. But right. in a lot of ways, um, you know, of course, it's more difficult because you're building, you have to build demand and, right. and <laughs> for that product. Um, and I, so I feel like there's a lot of things that we probably could have done differently if we had done a lot more kind of um, research on the ground. Like we did some, but I think that there was, there was a lot of learnings we probably, you know, could have applied to, to launch, I'd say. Right. Um, and the other piece is that, you know, as I said, like I, I thought it was valuable that I packed my product, but I probably packed it for too long. For too long. I yeah. yeah, I I packed it for almost four years on yeah. my own. And I'd say that um it it probably would have been better if we had gone to a co-packer earlier because I mean there are just so many um, pieces to this puzzle that a founder should not probably be, you know, kitchen. sleeping away in the kitchen mm-hmm. um, when you could be um, applying yourself to a lot of other areas of the business. Yeah. Um, so those are the two things. I'd no, say. I think those are really, really helpful. And I also want to ask you, because I realized I, I've had a few founders that work with their husbands or their partners. And I don't think I've actually asked. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, without, you know, upsetting Ben in any way, um, (laughs) because I'm sure he'll want to hear, you know, I'm sure Ben is wonderful. (laughs) And from everything I've heard, like, you you think he's the bee's knees, but is there, um, what are, what are the pros and cons? And for people that are getting into this and Sometimes, you know, what ends up happening is, you know, someone starts it and then a partner comes on because they're just, their partner's totally overwhelmed. Um, Right. And they come on as a co-founder. Sometimes it's, you know, the idea together. Right. You know, know, everyone has to have different skills and it sounds like you guys are really, but what do you do? I mean, I, I can imagine what the pros are. I can imagine what the cons are, but what do you do when a conflict comes up? Like, how do you resolve conflicts right um yell each other no um (laughs) thank you for listening to another episode (laughs) no I mean it's really I mean it, it is a challenge um because 
you know, we're partners in every sense of the word, right? right. We have two small children. We work right next to each other. Yeah. We, I mean, we make dinner together. We make lunch. It's like we're with each other all the time. And, you know, the funny thing is that at one point we had moved into a new space and there was pro there was a likelihood that we may not be able to work next to each other. Uh -huh. And like <laughs> separately, we both were like really down about that. Yeah. And and um, nice. I'd say, yeah. And, and, you know, the thing is, is that um, we have to give each other space. And I think mm -hmm. that, like, I have been better about not just turning to him every second to be like, oh, my God, like, mm -hmm. this just mm -hmm. happened. Or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, like, the the piece where you kind of have to let each other be in their zone and do their thing. Um, and that, like, even if we're sitting next to each other, like, to not just also in our personal lives to, cons like, constantly talk about work. Yeah. Um, because no, Ben I mean, has his own business, too, because he, he's a food packaging designer. Right. So he works you, on Brooklyn Deli for a portion of his time. Right. Too. I understand. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I, I learned that you know, the, the, my fiance or, you know, at the time he was my boyfriend and he happened to have some experience investing in companies like mine. So you can imagine he was talking about margins and cogs. And I was like, I just want to make sauce. Like, I don't know what the hell <laughs> you're talking about. And then anytime something right. would come up, he would kind of be like, well, you know, it's, told you something about the margin. And I'd be like, you don't understand. Like I, I was definitely very emotional. Um, and, and I think at some point my therapist was like, maybe don't talk to him about all of the stuff. Like maybe right. find other founders and other, you know, cause friends don't necessarily understand either. Cause it's right. all so inside baseball, you know, it's like, yeah. And the no, I hear things, you. you know, um, that's true. I feel like I definitely lean on other founders, um, that, can I can talk to and um, I've tried to kind of not lay everything on right. on Ben um, right. because it's just <laughs> you know there has to be a little bit of separation yeah um, to these things otherwise it's just it's it, you just can't keep going yeah we pace. tried to make a rule like no talking <laughs> about work after 10 p.m. and then I had a meltdown because I was like. <laughs> I'm thinking about it and now I'm like thinking about it, but I don't feel like I'm allowed to talk about it, which just makes me even more stressed. And it was, we had, I have a notes, I have a notes on my, um, on my phone actually mm -hmm. that because we try not to, to talk when like in the bedroom basically yeah. now. Yeah. And so I started to kind of like take notes down and then, um, we have like a dedicated like meeting time now that we have on Fridays. Aww. Um, that can be kind of like, we can go take a walk and talk about stuff. Yeah. And so it's kind of like a hangout session, but it's also like, we can talk, but it's like a designated time. I and I that. feel like 
that is has been good. And I kind of save some of my notes and, and we bring them up at that time. I mean, we did it last week and I feel like we knocked out so much stuff and it was just very like, it was a positive experience. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> wonderful. My, my fiance actually suggested that and I got offended and then pissed. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, so I need to like sign up for like office hours with you. It wasn't my finest hour. I'm not proud of it. I'm not proud of it. But I'm like, maybe I should go back and revisit that offer. Um, yeah. Because you made it sound so lovely and like taking a walk and, and very nice. And, right. and I was definitely like not, I was unpleasant. Um, okay. <laughs> Chitra, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I am, you know, I love your cookbook. I did buy it a couple months ago. It, you know, as I said, I, I, I love it. I love the way you talk about food. I love everything that, you know, you just make everything look beautiful. Um, and I'm really excited to see, you know, more and more Brooklyn Deli in stores everywhere. Um, it's an incredible product. Everyone should go out and buy it. Do you want people to go to Whole Foods and buy it or do you want them to buy it directly from you? Or let's tell I'd people say, right now where to go. I'd say go to Whole Foods and buy it. Okay. <laughs> go to Whole Foods and buy it and pump up those velocities. Um, and uh, thank you so much for coming on. Yes. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And Amanda, thank you as always for engineering. Um, I'm still remote. I'm going to be probably remote for a little while longer. Um, but um, I think it's really groovy that Heritage has some, some hosts back in the studio. And I'm definitely excited to get there at some point. Um, and for all of you listeners, thank you again for listening and for all of your support and your constant comments and for sharing this with people that you know that are trying to start something and build something because it's not easy. Um, so let's all, you know, support each other and do it together. And um, I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.